NZ Aerosports, Icarus Canopies, now Gyro. That's right, we've rebranded, and Gyro is our next generation. It honours our founder, as that's the name we knew him by, but Gyro also marks the start of a new chapter. And not to be biased, but it's going to be fucking epic. Long story short, we're more us than ever. So if you're new to the sport, or even a Sky God Ninja Turtle, welcome. I think our valiant leader Lucy, Gyro's daughter, Says it best. And we still got that fuck your attitude. <laughs> Rebrand! Woo! Rebrand woo indeed, Lucy. Anyway, head over to gyro.com for more info and get amongst your legends. I was 19, broke, unemployed, and sold my girlfriend's canopy for drug money. So, I thought I'd better sell her a new one. What a sentence and what a story. This describes the humble yet outrageous beginnings of NZ Aerosports, the home of Icarus Canopies, in the words of our founder himself. From getting a paratrooper toy from his mom, watching parachutes at the DZ as a six-year-old, jumping off the wharf with a parachute made from bedsheets, doing his first jump at 16, sewing his first canopy on a borrowed machine at 19, and starting to sell parachutes out of a garage in 1986, Paul Gyro Martin had an undying love for the sky. Our company started with one man with the wildest of spirits in a true blue sky dream, a renegade. In the time that Gyro created and ran the Icarus Canopies brand until he passed away in 2017, he pushed everything he had to its limits. We miss him and we always will. Gyro is the next generation of NZ Aerosports. It honors our founder, of course, because it was the name we all knew him by, but Gyro the rebrand also marks the start of a new chapter, our next jump. Gyro is the space between sound and silence, art and science, chaos and calm. Gyro is a state of epic tranquility that transcends understanding. That moment, in the door, in free fall, mid-swoop, where nothing but the present exists. A perfect balance of euphoria and thrill. Gyro captures our passion for flying and our commitment to designing break-the-fucking-rules canopies that deliver pilots pure, wild flight. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, another fucking pilot podcast, and I've got a couple more victims in the can. So uh, who the fuck are you guys? <laughs> well, I'm Cornelia Mihai. Uh, and I'm Olga Naumova. Cool. Very cool. And you're both? Uh, canopy pilots. Canopy pilots. Nice, nice. So nice. You're, both, uh, you're both jumping out of airplanes. Yeah. Uh, is this something you do for fun or you're pros? For fun, and it became work, and uh, it's still a fun job. Nice, nice, and nice. Passion and what we do on a daily basis, on our days off, on our holidays. I don't, I don't see the day when we don't do that, actually, unless it's about weather. Sure, sure. Well, that's good, though. That's very good. So um, you're both pro skydivers jumping your asses off, but you started somewhere. So let's start with all of that. Where did you guys get started jumping? 
Well, I'm from Romania, so I started skydiving in Romania in 2002. I was still in high school. Somehow, my friends told me there's some parachuting courses. I couldn't even call it skydiving, it was parachuting. Ah. So, so I started static line. Can't even say I, I was hooked from the first jump. I pretty much got hooked, got hooked to the lifestyle, first mm. of all. And then the passion for skydiving came. Very cool. That seems to be a pretty common theme with people I've talked to. How about you? Well, I've uh, I've done my first jump was around parachute. It's a military parachute D16 from Anton F2 uh, 11 years ago. And uh, they all told me that I'm going to break my legs and I didn't break my legs. And I was, oh, I didn't break my legs so I can become a skydiver. I didn't know what skydiving is. So I started to research and I found this school with FF in Ukraine, which was 500 kilometers from where I used to live in Belarus. So I just drew there and just that's how my life turned. It was every weekend I was driving 500 kilometers just to skydive. Doesn't matter the weather looks good, bad, is it uh, rainy or is it a storm? Doesn't matter. You just on the Friday you just pack your stuff. So you became a skydiver because you didn't break your legs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I became a, I became a skydiver. Actually, at the beginning, I uh, I registered to the courses because uh, in Romania it was kind of different how it was at the time. But um, for some reason, we had uh, free access to the public swimming pool, mm. and I wanted to learn how to swim better. <laughs> That's a good reason. That's why I started. But then, yeah, I became a, definitely a, a better skydiver, but I don't swim any better. That's very, it's very cool. So, well, so y- you both decided that you enjoyed the jumping and so you got into it as fun jumpers. Um, w- what was the kind of time frame? I mean, did you start right away and go, this is something I want to do for a living or it just was something you did entertaining on the weekends? Or Now, for me, it was the moment the door opened on, on this Antoine of two, I was like, damn, that's what I want to do for a living. I just, and I just wanted I just wanted to do it full on. For those that don't know, the Antoine of two is a type of aircraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a biplane, um, Russian biplane. It's kind of scary looking plane. <laughs> oh, it's, it takes forever to get you up to 900 meters, which is what, 3,000 feet. Yeah. But yeah, it's a pretty cool plane. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. How about you? I think for me, I didn't know, like at the time, in 2002 in Romania, we didn't really have private uh, airfields where you could just, you know, we didn't, it was a government uh, somehow related uh, club. It was a club. Okay. And I didn't even think that you could do this for a living. But uh, in about two years, when I was supposed to think about my future, you know, go to college and stuff, uh, I thought like, oh, what do I would like to do with my life? What, what, where I want to go? And the only thing that, you know, really made me smile was skydiving. So then I decided, like, I think I should follow this. That's very cool. It's funny because I've bumped into a lot of Romanians in skydiving, and it, which is unusual if it's, if it's hard to come by there. I think we started like on a pretty unusual way, if you look at it from the outside. Um, But the moment we all like realized outside of Romania, there's a lot more Mm. and it's fun and uh, you could actually, you know, make a living out of it. Everybody just went for it. Oh, that's very cool. Well, now, in in Belarus, there's not exactly a whole bunch of skydiving centers. I know, no. Both both your countries are known for gymnasts, but not necessarily (laughs) skydivers. Winter sports mostly, eh? but yeah, yeah, no skydivers at all. Uh, That's why I used to drive to Ukraine to actually learn how to skydive and build these jump numbers. 
there is no it's, it's still no drop zone in Belarus. Mm. There is still it's uh, acrobatics or what do you call it? Yeah, acrobatics, classic parachutism in Belarus. Okay. But they they don't have skydivers. Well, so since you knew you wanted to get into it right away, like you knew you wanted to work in it right away. I would I don't know. I just wanted to become a skydiver. I wanna I wanna just jump out of the planes. I didn't even know there is another type of the parachutes that exist. I didn't know there is a canopy that ram canopy exists. Sure. I just thought that's what it is. It's a round parachute D sixteen, and that's what you're gonna do. I just loved it straight away. And after after I jumped, I started the research. And then I realized, oh, wow, you can actually go a little bit higher than 3,000 feet. And, <laughs> and it's not just... And it's, it's not like about breaking your legs. It's you not just actually, a parachute, yeah. yeah. Or And not breaking your legs. Yeah, yeah. All right, so you both you both got active in the sport. Did you continue to jump back home? I mean, you were in Romania, you were in, in jumping in... I mean, we kind of depended on, um, I depended on what was available from... So I started at the club, so pretty much you we didn't... Ha- have to pay for the jumps like if you were in between uh, 16 and 22 years old mm-hmm. it was you pay an annual fee <laughs> and you had uh, you would train like theory and physical training throughout the year like weekly um, and then we had uh, the same plane Antonov too um, like we had a, a, a time frame that the plane would come to our club and it was two weeks in a year and we had a certain amount of fuel and we would jump we would pretty much share it in between it was it's uh, funded by the government okay we still have a little bit of that um it doesn't give you much you only do hop and pops it's towards uh, building uh which would you like anyway no <laughs> <laughs> it's towards building um classic accuracy national team okay pretty much a bit left over from the communist times sure. we still have it but sincerely it was great like i don't think i would have got into skydiving without it it's all what we had at the time and uh, I just went along with it for sure whenever they called me hey we have the plane coming I would go because it made me happy awesome well when did you guys get to a point where you were now not doing the the static line and the hop and pops but you're into free fall and and had the potential to start getting into more modern skydiving well, my after after I researched and I found this drop zone in Ukraine, it was straight away. I just went there and my my third like I did two jumps with a round parachute mm. in Belarus, and then I went to Ukraine to start my course, and went to free fall. That's straight very away, cool. Yeah, I didn't do hop and pops anymore. Well, until now, <laughs> I I had the chance in Romania in two thousand and five. It was uh, one guy that had enough money. He started kind of the same like us, but uh, he was really rich and he liked it. So eventually bought a plane, a oh, uh, faster nice. plane. He bought a Turbo Finist. Okay. Um, and um, he enjoyed it. So he wanted to actually build a private drop zone. He started it. Um, and I realized because he brought uh, an examiner to from outside, to make two of our uh, most experienced skydivers in the country, to make them tandem uh, instructors. Mm. And when that guy came, was an Italian guy, and uh, when he came uh, at our drop zone, I like the way he was landing, the way he was flying, mm. like you could tell it was, for me, it was something out of this world. I haven't seen it before. It was a different set of skills. So then I started researching it, <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? I researched his name. He was in the national four-way team in Italy. I saw videos of them. I was like, wow, how can you even fly like that? Sure. 
And then it kind of opened my mind a bit. So uh, I looked uh, how it, what I could do outside. And eventually I left in 2006 from Romania and I went uh, to Spain. I started working as a parachute packer there. Okay. All right. So you went kind of a standard route. You go from uh, falling in love with the sport to packing parachutes and working your way up. Yeah. Nice, nice. How about you? But it's funny how one person can inspire you, like when you're just in the beginning of your journey. Sure. Skydiver. It was the same for me. I was walking to the plane to do my IFF level one. And uh, it was Seva Bedrin. He's still competing as a canopy pilot right now. Uh, he's from Ukraine. And he was just swooping just like in front of me. And I was walking to the plane with a radio in my helmet, with two instructors by my side, you know, like shit scared to do my first skydiver out. 4,000 meters, and I was like, wow, that's not round parachute, you know, like, it's flying, it's fast, that's what I want to do, and I, I was, like, inspired by this guy for years, we became friends after that, and, like, we've been competing together after that, but it was just this moment when you see something, and you understand that your work will never be the same, you want to just do that cool shit that this guy does. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. Now, was there anything before skydiving in what would be considered the extreme world for you guys? <laughs> was there any rock climbing, any hardcore snow skiing, anything like that? Well, no, like snowboarding, for... like, all this, you know, snowboarding, I don't know, free, free diving... For me, not really. I mean, I was still in school, in high school. I was pretty young. Sure. And I didn't really have the chance. Like, my parents didn't have a lot of money. I didn't really have the chance to do a lot of um, cool stuff. So I can't really say it was. Um, and skydiving ca- kind of just grew into me. Sure, sure. But you you were, Olga, you were kind of going crazy from well, the beginning. Well, that's body considering as a extreme sports. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that depends that depends on how you're partying for sure. Well, I was partying a lot when I was younger and like doing some sports but I wouldn't call it extreme like I was trying to put my hands on anything I can reach I mean whatever whatever was available sure. is it like uh, gym or it's snowboarding or it's free diving swimming surfing whatever I can try something try. physical something out yeah, there Yeah yeah but I wouldn't like it was nothing that would hook me you know like skydiving did I would do something for months and then I'll do I'll move to something else Sure. Well, skydiving does seem to be a lifelong hook for anybody that's in it for any length of time. Yeah. I don't I don't know of any people that are skydivers for a little while or very few people that are are tourist skydivers. If yeah. they get to the level that you guys are at, they're they're in it for life one way or the other. So, you guys decide you're going to become skydivers. You go through the free fall course. You're packing parachutes now and you've uh, decided that uh, the leg breaking phase is hopefully over. So, where do we go from there? How do you end up working in the sport? Uh, outside of, say, uh, packing parachutes? Well, I think that's the most common way to work in the sport. You start, like, at the beginning, you don't have a lot of experience in uh, free fall. Uh, so the the best way to be in the sport is to pack parachutes. You earn money, then you spend it back in the sport. Mm. Like, uh, uh, and it keeps you there. I would say, like, even... Well, I was four, four... I was a packer for four years in Spain, and I can't say I jumped a lot because I couldn't afford jumping a lot, but just by being there and being on the ground and seeing everybody and seeing videos and being in touch with the sport made me better. You I, soak it up, don't you? Yeah. Just by being there, you see things, you see situations, uh, you see people and uh, their reactions and sure. how they evolve. And then you kind of, you, you find your own path. Four years of packing parachutes is pretty fucking hardcore. Yeah, well, I was, I was fed up after it and I wanted to become an instructor. So I worked towards it. But the thing is, 
I came from, I moved from Romania to Spain with 700 jumps. But 700 jumps, if you say it, like anywhere else would mean something. But I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have the skills mm. that other people in other countries would have with 700 jumps. Because sure. we didn't have the, we we didn't find the inf- we didn't have the right information sure. or enough of it so i felt that when i uh, when i got in spain like i had 700 jumps pretty experienced i would say mm. but uh, i knew i had less skills less technique than some people with like a license i would say sure you just didn't have access to it at that yeah. time yeah so the moment i got there i just wanted to soak all the, like to soak up all the information i could like sure. just that was like a sponge oh you can do that sure. and you can do that i had to Change a lot of bad habits that I had. <laughs> Unlearn I worked, a lot of things. I worked a lot. So that's why I think it took me longer to become an instructor because uh, I had to just fix a lot of uh, a lot of things that I wasn't doing right in the beginning. Sure. Um, but eventually, I, I made it. I, I followed my dream. I sure. became an instructor. Very I'm cool. Pretty, I'm really happy that Cornelia actually worked as a packer because when she saw me packing my parachute first time, <laughs> her eyes were like that big. And so, like, what the heck are you doing? So you were not a packer <laughs> I then. am not a packer. I still kind of a little bit worry every time I jump out of the plane, <laughs> not because of my landing, but because of my opening. But I'm getting there. I'm getting She showed me a couple of tricks that I'm using on a daily basis. Pretty sure by the time someone makes it to the level of professional working skydiver, <laughs> no, they should not pack. pack I, I can't pack a parachute. Don't get me wrong. But I was always the shittiest packer ever because I had money. I mean, like I was managing the biggest touristic company in my comp- uh, in my country in Belarus, so I never had a problem with that. I had my business. I was working full time job, normal considering in our world, right? So sure. I, I had money to spend on skydiving. She was a pay. posh skydiver. Yeah, I was a posh skydiver. One of the pay. ones that shows up with the brand new jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, got, I got all my gear, like, up to jump number, I don't know, 15. I already ordered my rig and stuff. Pink? Was it pink? Uh, it wasn't, actually. I don't know, it was actually black and red, though. Uh, yeah, 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 you were a posh skydiver. Uh, right. yeah, well, so how did you end up working in the sport so, since, since you didn't take the normal route of pack and pack? You know, like I was, um, I was just a normal, regular fun jumper for the first, I think, four years, and uh, my friends decided to do the course at tandem instructor course, mm-hmm. and it's a military guys from my country. So you're jumping out of a an, uh, Antonov two, altitude is about I don't know, ten thousand feet, mm-hmm. and it's like November, pretty cold, but. Because we've been partying before that, uh, before that conversation, we had a huge party in the bar where I said, oh, I just want to become a tandem instructor one day. So they paid my course and they invited me in. So I didn't have a choice. God, you were fucking spoiled, weren't you? I know, yeah. A little bit. So we went, no, but it was like, it was brutal. This course was brutal. We were jumping with each other. It wasn't like examiner was jumping with us. It was pretty much military boys and me having like, nearly 500 jumps without any experience of landing my parachute without bouncing around there. Well, so how did the course go? <laughs> um, interesting because, um, you know, like every landing, <laughs> every landing was epic. Everyone would go outside and see me <laughs> landing the condom. <laughs> anyway, after I've done that... Uh, Cornelia, I, I see a theme. <laughs> She had to struggle with my landings for, for I a see while a theme well. in, in, in Olga's career here. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we'll keep coming back to that. Anyway, four years uh, after... <laughs> four years later, you finally passed the course. <laughs> yeah. 
miracle happening. Yeah. <laughs> I w- I'm not the most talented skydiver. I admit that, but I, I have to work for it. All right, well, let me <laughs> ask you. So if, if your tandem landings were an event, how the fuck after number two or three did you get anyone to go on the front of you for well, a tandem? Well, they are military boys, okay? They're Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thing. I mean, but they've been told you guys are jumping with Olga, so they didn't have an option. They oh, had to go. No. You know, I like military boys. They do what they've been told to do. Oh, is that it? it? Is, is that it? Yeah, man. Okay, so you make it through the course, and do you start working right away, or is that just yeah. something you tuck in your back pocket? No, it was. Uh, I think like the. Um, so it was four years after my first skydive. I was sitting in the office, and it was beautiful weather, and it was a wingsuit boogie back in Ukraine, and my home drop zone. Mm-hmm. No, it was three years ago, actually. And I was sitting in the office, and I was looking at those blue skies, and my, my friends keep messaging how cool it is. I keep posting photos, and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? I mean, I'm not even enjoying anymore being in the office and managing this company. I just want to be there. I want to be out there. Sure. And I already knew that I can't work as a because I've seen the skydiving instructors. They get paid, maybe not as much as I was, but, I mean, it doesn't really, didn't matter to me at the time. Sure. And so I decided to go and convert my tandem instructor rating into USPA. And we went to Spain, to Imperia Brava. I don't know, maybe you packed my parachutes there. Cornelia, I don't remember you then. But Could <laughs> have been. You probably didn't look at me. I was just a packer. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't long uh, from after when I actually uh, introduced myself to you. <laughs> so you, you swapped over to the United States Parachute Association license. Yeah. Is that just because it's, um, it's more well-received around the world? Well, because I never saw that I'm going to be working in my country because we don't have a job zone or Ukraine or so I, I always was looking towards if I would ever swap my career I thought I'll, I'll go overseas and sure. just, you know and when I got this rating my uh, examiner uh, Marcus Leze he said you know like we starting this job zone in Greece um, skydive freefall and um, you want to join so I came back home and I'm like sitting in my office and I'm like uh, like to go and work there, it's pretty much economical suicide, right? Because, like, you don't know if you're going to get paid, if sure. you're going to be, like, skydiving at all, if we're going to have clients, wh- what's going to be. And it took me, like, about 10 days being super depressed at work. And one day I woke up and there was, like, two phones ringing at, th- at the same time. And I'm like, no, fuck that. I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving. So <laughs> I sold my shit and just... And off to chuck cut, drugs. Cut, yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> And so you got off the packing mat and you started doing tandems in Spain? No, first I became an IFF instructor oh. because uh, actually in Spain, they I don't know, they, I never saw another girl doing tandems. Hmm. I asked kind of around, hey, do you think, I asked other instructors, do you think I could do tandems? And they always said, no, 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 you, you have to you be can. strong. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of left it in, I didn't think too much about it, I kind of left it in the back of my head. But I knew I can become an IFF instructor. Mm. So I became an IFF instructor where I was still there. I did the course. I couldn't get a job there. So I moved. Um, I applied. I, I looked for another job. And uh, I found this uh, small drop zone at the time in Portugal. I moved there and uh, just to do IFF. It was just uh, with a Cessna 182. Uh, but it was just me and the manager and another instructor working. So we were pretty busy. Sure. Uh, and at some point, the other instructor um, left. So we were at the beginning of the season, and it was me and the manager. He was an instructor as well. So he looked at me, and he's like, either I'm going to do all the tandems all this season, and you're going to do all the videos, or you can go and do your tandem rating. And I was like, do you think I can do it? And 
He sure. didn't. He didn't think it was a, a reason why I couldn't. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I went. I did the tandem course, um, and yeah, that was it. Like I liked that. It was a person, you know, that didn't tell me no. Like sure. There was no reason not to do the tandem course. And it's funny enough, her doing a tandem course was a reason for us to actually um, not meet each other in the internet. So because I saw that uh, another girl took and, and got an instructor rating, tandem mm-hmm. instructor rating. And we I'm had like, the oh. same exam in yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. I saw it on Facebook and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Because it was like, I think it was about seven girls in Europe by then, like tandem mm. instructor, instructors, female tandem instructors sure. in Europe. It was just only seven of us. And when I... I saw that another go, uh, girl got the rating. I'm like, who the hell is Cornelia? And I started to like, you know, looking at her. She wasn't badass swooper yet. She was uh, like a skydiver. And sure. I sent her a message. I was like, hey, let's be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So my Facebook this was sends, me, sends me notification every year now. Seven years. This was in 2011. Wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny coming from uh, coming from the states and in my background. And I never thought about the fact that there really weren't a lot of female tandem instructors. It just wasn't something that you just didn't think about it. But looking back on the different job zones that I've worked at, most of the guys were chucking drogues, and if women were working in the sport, they were shooting video or doing AFF. Um, so it never really crossed my mind. And then I started traveling abroad, and as I got abroad, I saw a lot more female tandem instructors. I think now it's changing, though. Like, a lot sure. more are becoming tandem instructors. But it was just a thing at the beginning. Like, we, you thought, like, everybody kind of had the general opinion that you need to be strong. But the parachutes were different as well. well and I mean, like the canopies were bigger. There's no doubt that it reason. takes a, 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 a bit of uh, physical strength to be able to do the job that we do, for sure. Oh, for sure. But a finesse is dramatically more important than strength. Um, being able to work with the students, being able to fly is the most important. And sure, physical strength helps, but at the end of the day, air is always going to be stronger than muscle. So if you can't fly, you can't fly. So, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> uh, you guys have seen just what I've seen, some big, strong guys that just fucking fall like bricks and they <laughs> suck in free fall yeah. and, and they make horrible tandem instructors. Well, cool. So you both ended up um, working as tandem instructors and, and uh, doing AFF as well. Do you have your AFF, Olga? Yeah, yeah I do. It's a tough course, huh? It's the toughest course I've ever taken. Uh, I, a... I didn't pass from the fir- like on the first uh, attempt, and I had like one, a half a year of just, you know, reconsidering if I really won this rating. It's a like real when mind... I got it, I was celebrating like three days in a row. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, it's a, real mind f- it's a real mind fuck. That course yeah. is designed to just make you doubt <laughs> your entire life, yeah. you know? Um, did you, looking back, which do you prefer, tandem or AFF? Um... Looking back, it's hard to say, you know, like because uh, when I when I just started as a tandem instructor, I was like I was terrified about every tandem I did, so mm. it was like challenging for me as much as AFF. Oh, me too. Like I wouldn't say there was something was obviously I like um, jumping camera and AFF more because I, I get a chance to fly my own parachute. Mm. Obviously, yes, but it doesn't mean that tandems are not fun anymore. People are saying, oh, you don't become a tandem instructor. It will take your passion for the sports. It's not really true. No. It's, it's up true. to you yeah. to keep, keep your keep... passion for the sport. Exactly. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Um, well, so in, how about you, AFF or tandem? I like them both because I took them both as a challenge. Sure. Um, but I think IFF, like, um, and I haven't done, like, I, I've, I, I do more tandems nowadays than IFF. But there's so, like, something 
special about teaching someone to like fly by themselves. When you see that light bulb come on over their head and you realize, holy shit, I taught that person. Like category D, like when they start figure out, I still I have a few favorite students that I will always remember and. Uh, the joy that they had in their face when they realized that they can turn in the air. <laughs> like, I was like, I, I, I just was living his moment, you oh, know? Yeah. So I think that was, and I think the people that actually come to the course, they're like determined, they, they know this, they want it, they, uh, they're somehow passionate about it and mm. they don't even know it yet. Sure. And that's really cool to work with those people. You can also find the same with uh, the tandems, for sure. sure. Like, you have the... But not everybody. Some people like it. Some people don't. Some people are really scared. Some people think it's a walk in the park and then they realize it's not. (laughs) Um, So tandems are just a bit... It depends who you jump with, for sure. 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 I think you're just natural born coach. You just <laughs> laugh coaching people. Well, it gives me a satisfaction. Absolutely. Sure. Well, and it should. I mean, it's it's quite an accomplishment to be able to teach someone to do what we do in such a high-stress environment and to get someone to smile yeah. when they're yeah. falling at 120 miles an hour and you've given them a whole list of shit they've got to do, but you can get them to smile as well. That's an accomplishment. Yeah. That's that's not something too many people can and do. And thinking so that you kind of build that in a way. Like absolutely. Build their confidence and we're there with them. You can see the progress. I think the progress is the nicest thing to see. Oh, absolutely. Well, and we all have those students that we can pat ourselves on the back and go, that person's a scout ever because I nursed them through. It's the it's the students that had the hardest time that are the ones that stand out to me that had a hard time and got through it and enjoyed it the most. And they, they're usually the ones that want to give back to the sport so much because at some point they didn't think they were going to make it, mm. which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So you both start out and, and you're, you're working in the sport now. You're checking drugs and you're doing AFF in what is – predominantly a a male-dominated workforce in the sport, or at least it was. It is changing, but you guys have both pushed it even farther and gone into the competition world as well, Um, and specifically into canopy piloting, which until relatively recently was very much male-dominated. There are women that are out there competing. You've got uh, uh, Jeannie uh, Bartholomew. You've got uh, Maxine Tate. But, I mean, you've pushed it hardcore, Cordelia. I mean, you, you've, uh, you've got uh, a few accomplishments under your belt. So tell us about that. Well, I always, sincerely, like, kind of like skydiving, I got into canopy piloting also kind of by mistake. Mm. <laughs> it, it, well, not that type of mistake, but, like, it happened. Uh, I really wanted, so I became an instructor. I was working in Portugal. I was happy. I was jumping every day. Um, so I was really happy, but I always wanted to compete. I don't know why. I don't know how I knew that. I always wanted to compete. Mm. Uh, I just think competition pushes you further than you would push yourself in normal situations. And um, I really wanted to to go to a competition. I did some four-way belly before. Um, I did classic accuracy in Romania. Okay. Um, so I did some just like two national championships in Romania sure. of classic accuracy, and I loved it. Um, so then when I was in Portugal, I really wanted to go to this, uh, competition in Dubai in 2011. Like I've seen videos, I've seen, uh, I've had friends from Spain going there and everything looks like amazing. Mm. And I really wanted to get there. And I tried to put a four-way team together, a belly four-way team together. It was really hard, like different countries, different people just sure. to put it together. It was impossible. So then I was stubborn and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get there. So uh, the only two individual disciplines I could do, 
I could participate in were either canopy piloting or classic accuracy. <laughs> and at the time, in 2011, I was closer to uh, canopy piloting. Like I, I was already doing like landing okay-ish. I was, uh, I was jumping a velocity. Um, I was doing a, a 450 turn. So I was like, I was, I was landing okay. Okay, so high performance uh, turns on a small parachute. Yeah, so I never thought of canopy piloting. I had to research the rules and what I should do. I never thought of it. But then I'm like, well, I have the equipment. I don't have the equipment for classic accuracy. I'm going to go for canopy piloting. Awesome. So I registered and I I went for it. That was my first competition. Very <laughs> cool. So your very first competition, you went to Dubai, um, having never been in a competition like that. I've never been on a pond before. <sighs> oh, I, that's awesome. So I, I tried because I was I started to get ready for it. Like I was putting some gates in the landing area like i researched it when and I said she read uh rules that means that she read all the rules she found all the mistakes there <laughs> no no actually no i knew kind of what i had to do i asked people uh my manager actually in portugal at the time i think he did a swooping competition at some point so he knew some stuff okay. so he helped me out um but i've never been on the pond uh, so I was in Portugal, actually, the drop zone was right near the beach. Sometimes we were doing beach jumps there. I remember like one time, like a month before the competition, I was like, no, no, I need to touch the water because I've seen this in videos. I have to do this. So I went, when we did a beach landing, I was like, oh, I'm going to try to touch the water. No idea how to do it. So I tried, but, uh, obviously the sea is not the same as a pond. Sure. It was like, we had waves. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I got this. And then the wave came. The water wasn't there where I thought it was, and uh, I ended up splashing. I had to wash all my gear, repack oh, my reserve. Salt water, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it wasn't, didn't really go exactly. It wasn't that easy as I thought. I didn't think it was easy. Uh, I just thought, you know, it was one step closer to touching sure. water. Sure. Well, so you get to the competition out there, and uh, um, who are you competing against? I mean, this is not going to be a, a, a local field. This is, if it's... <laughs> Funny enough, I didn't even care. I didn't. I didn't know any of the swoopers. Like, I got there. I read the bulletin of the competition, right? So the arrival date was then. I didn't know people in canopy piloting get there like at least a week prior to, to jump train. To, to train. train. I arrived on the arrival day, official <laughs> arrival day. We had one official <laughs> practice day. So I managed. It was bad weather. I managed to do one practice jump that I managed to go over the pond. <laughs> In the one practice jump, it was the first time I was jumping full RDS. So that means that I had to figure out how to, because I bought a full RDS because I've seen it in sure. videos. So for people, that, for people that don't jump at RDS means you can take the slider and stuff off? Yeah, you, it, it means um, uh, re, um, removable. Removable, removable deployment system. And, that just, and uh, uh, that's the stuff that just creates a shitload of drag if you leave it on. So it slows yeah. you down. So, of course, in canopy piloting, you want to be efficient. You want the canopy to be efficient. So you take the slider off with your D-bag and the pilot should. Okay, cool. Um so it was the first time I was jumping that. I had, I bought brand new swoop shorts. So I so had yeah. brand so new swoop right. shorts. <laughs> no, at least I had a, a pocket. <laughs> a pocket for the RDS. Okay. Uh, and that happened all new in one jump that I was jumping in Dubai, over Ooh. surrounded by water buildings and the pond. And we jumped at 5,000 feet. Uh, so I spent like 3,000 feet to figure out <laughs> how to put 
<laughs> everything in my pocket because it was a brand new pair of shorts and it was a tight pocket. <laughs> so, and I was shaking also. So I was like, oh, I'm never going to do this. Oh, what's going to happen? And somehow I made it. I managed to do a turn to do my landing over the pond safe. Sure. So I was ready for competition. Oh, that's very cool. Now, uh, you got there, you were competing. How many women were in the competition? Actually, in that competition, and that was the third DIPC, Dubai International Parachuting Championship, um, I was the only one. Okay, so you're the only woman uh, in a field of guys that have been doing it for a while. Um, more than likely, they're sponsored teams. Um, so you've got the best of the best. And, and by this time in the sport, these guys are good. I mean, they've been doing this shit for quite a long time. How were you greeted? Very well. Awesome. Like, actually, that's why I loved it so much. Everybody was helpful. Um, that's, I mean, I, I was happy with the competition and how I did. I, don't, I, I was one of the last ones, sure. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but what I enjoyed is that, and I was surprised, um, everybody was welcoming. Not, not everybody, but a lot of people were welcoming. And they were like, what really impressed me is that they were warning each other about weather conditions and... Uh, if someone was doing something dangerous, they mm. would come and tell you something, and they would try to help you. Even we were, even if we were all competing. Obviously, I wasn't a threat for anyone's ranking. Sure. But even like in competition, like someone would land and say, "Hey, watch out!" They're like strong uppers from that direction. Sure. And that was new for me because I was a packer for a long time. I saw and in a, a busy place in Europe where a lot of teams came to train. And uh, every time I saw the, you know, like belly teams and free fly teams, they're all like staying with each other, really hiding from the other teams, really focused on their own thing, sure. not sharing information, not doing anything uh, to help each other. Where in canopy piloting, I was greeted and helped by a lot of people. Which is awesome. That like really impressed me. And that was a big part of why I wanted to keep doing it, why I wanted to learn more. Because sure. even now... Uh, if you see someone doing something dangerous, a low turn, um, a weird thing, you're not going to just stay on the side and let, no. and uh, not tell them something because it's dangerous. They can hurt themselves and they can even kill themselves. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it's that's that's the the joy to the majority of our sport is that outside of competition, outside of all the bullshit, even if you don't particularly like someone, you don't want to see them hurt. Exactly. Uh, so I don't have to like you to go, hey, dude, take it easy. You're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. So that's the first thing that I loved. Which is awesome. Sure. Now, Olga, you've decided to, to go the same route, and you started swooping as well. Yeah. Um, what was your decision to, to decide to get into canopy piloting? Well, as I said, uh, it was from the first jump I've done from uh, from my FF course when I saw Seva swooping in front of me. But I just didn't know. I wasn't, I'm not the most talented pilot, <laughs> I have to say. It took me forever to learn how to land my own parachute, and then I was struggling with tandem landings. But I've always so was, swooping was the natural choice. Yes, for sure. I mean, like <laughs> I, I said from the jump number one, I want to do swooping, and my friends were like, "Okay, wait until you have three hundred jumps, okay?" And then we talked. So I had three hundred jumps, and I came to Seva, and I'm like, "Okay, can I swoop now?" He's like, "Uh, no. Wait until wait until like, you have six hundred jumps." So I waited until I had six hundred jumps. I was still not good, and then I was like, "Okay, you know, like I'll just wait another thousand. You know, <laughs> maybe I'll get somewhere better." Okay. So, but I've always wanted to do that and then when uh, Cornelia started to do uh, to swoop and I saw like because we've been already friends on Facebook so I was following 
her um, journey of becoming a super, and I saw her like doing better and better and better. Uh, so she wasn't that active on social media. I had to do some researches. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I saw that she's doing it. I'm like, yeah, well, she's doing it. Sure. That's possible. Sure. And so there is nothing that is not possible. But I was far away. She she was in Dubai that back then. And um, I just sent her a message. I think it was like five years ago. I was in South Africa by then. And I'm like, oh, what a swoop. And she's like, well. How can I help? <laughs> I'm like, well, I want to swim, but I jump tandem handicap every day. You know, I don't, don't really jump with my own parachute. I don't remember. <laughs> she, yeah. Right, right, right. I blocked it. <laughs> and so she said, like, if you ever in, uh, if you ever going to be in Dubai, uh, just you know, th- then we'll talk. Then we'll talk. And so you kind of approached her uh, as a mentor. Yeah. Well, so it was very inspiring to see another girl, you know, doing something what I was dreaming and not daring to do. Sure. Well, we've heard that she's done her first competition and and was towards the bottom but had a lot of fun, but that's changed. <sighs> so you, you've got a few bragging points. You, you've been on the podium eh, once or twice. Yeah. Probably. I actually had to research it before this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Either, like you know how so, how some people know exactly how many competitions they did. And sure. I cannot really tell you exactly, but uh, I probably have around, I've, comp- I've since then, I'm, I don't know if I'm wrong, but somewhere in between 50, 60 competitions. Okay. And uh, I've been on the podium over 30 times. So like, uh, not w- not winning all of them, uh, but uh, on the podium. But you have won. I have won also. Um, yeah. what's, your, what's your top competition? What's the big one? Um... Well, I uh, I became a world champion in distance in uh, Canada and then uh, also in Dubai in uh, at the World Air Games. Um, so that was my main achievement at an FAI competition. Uh, I'm still fighting to win overall the world championship. Sure. I've got second, I've got third, but I never got first overall. Um, and... Um, one of my proudest moments is actually U.S. Nationals. I won it twice. And uh, for me, U.S. Nationals, it's uh, after the World Championship, it's uh, the toughest competition out there. Sure. And I didn't win it as an official because I'm not from U.S. I cannot officially get a, mes- a medal, but I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. That for doesn't me, matter. it doesn't matter. I don't care about the medal. So World Championship distance twice, second and third for overall multiple times winning the U.S. Nationals, that's a long way from down low and, and having never been across a pond before. That's a big fucking deal. <laughs> I mean, you're competing against guys that were doing this a lot longer. And so wh- what, do you, what do you attribute that to? How would you, you manage to do so well so quickly? Uh, well, I, I, I worked hard towards it, but I also was at the right place at the right time. Like, uh, I was... Um, I got a job. So after after the first competition that I did, I got offered a job in Dubai. So then I started working in Dubai. And then um, quite like after one year in Dubai, uh, they um, they asked me, they actually built the, they put together a canopy piloting team, mm. fully sponsored, and um, they chose me to be part of it. That's very and, cool. And I wasn't very good at the time. I mean, I've competed for UAE, um, like the in 2012, that was my first time. But I can't say I did very well. I did average. I had plenty of things that I needed to work on still. Um, but I think they saw how how hard I was working towards it. Sure. And um, they chose me to be part of that team. That's and, very cool. Um, during three years, 
uh, we were fully sponsored, traveling to competitions. So that definitely boosted me to the top. Sure, sure. Well, now, um, along the way, you, you obviously were in the right place at the right time and, and uh, put the work in. Um, any, any drawbacks, any fallbacks, any injuries, anything that slowed you down? Or have you been pretty lucky all the way around? I don't know if it's luck, but it's maybe the way I I train. Like um, I I try to take all the you know the precautions. I I never really got injured swooping. So would you consider uh, yourself a pretty uh, uh, cautious swooper? I mean, if there is sm- such a thing, maybe smart. I don't know. Maybe try to Fair enough. like uh, not smart, but train in a smart way. For example. I know when to where my limits are. I know that I don't have to take a you know take a gate no matter what in training, for sure, example. Sure. Sure. Um, like it's still even now. Like a few years back, a friend of mine, Wootsy, said something that like just marked me. He said like, "Remember, you need to walk to the podium," mm. and I will not forget that ever. S- some um, wise words. Because. I don't even want to say about training. Training, you can always make mistakes and not score and make a shitty jump. Shitty, I mean, by not scoring well. Mm. Um, it's just training. In the end, you're learning from all of that. But even in competition, for sure, I hit the water a few times and uh, I bounced in here and there. But uh, nothing that I, I thought that it's going to injure me or cost me my life. Sure, yeah. Because I don't think... It's worth it. Well, knowing your limits is an extremely important thing. Actually, it was kind of funny because I do my lazy little 270 swoops that, <laughs> that nobody ever wants to watch. And, and why would they? They're just for me. And, and you had approached me a couple of times and it explained how to do a 450. And I made one attempt at it, got myself <laughs> super dizzy, scared the fuck out of myself, walked away. And I think the next day I bumped into you and you're like, so how's the 450s? And I just shook my head and went, fuck that. Nope, nope I'm good with 270s. It's fine. Well, so now I understand why you, Olga, decided that you wanted her as a mentor. She went um, full on and ended up, you know, at the peak of competition. I mean... Well, also, you know, it's very inspiring to see another woman doing that. I, I mean, like, those boys, boys always been swooping. But, like, boys well known for having an ego, you know? Like, hey, come over here. I'll teach you how to swoop. It's mm-hmm. not what I wanted, really. I wanted, like, a... A person who will actually tell me uh, a reasonable things to do because, as I told you, I wasn't a very talented uh, canopy pilot. Yeah, we've, we've established that. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah, you visit me in the hospital quite a few yeah, times. Yes, so, I no, have. I mean, like, yes, I have. <laughs> you know. Yes, I have. But yeah, it was very inspiring. So I was on on to her, and she, I was in South Africa, as I said. And the moment I actually moved here, I was abroad, and I moved with the ACL reconstruction. Uh, and um, so when I moved back to uh, back then, when I moved in, it was like ACL reconstruction, uh, huge knee support, walking to Cornelia and saying, I want to swoop. And she's like, well, maybe you're going to start jumping first. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Well, I, I can vouch for the fact that you do like to put the cart before the horse a couple of times. Uh, when I went to visit you in the hospital which, after... Which, which time? <laughs> which one? <laughs> that, that would be the time that you punctured your lung with a rib after frapping yourself in on a hook turn and... When we got to myself and uh, and Nomers got to visit you, you were busy talking about the colors for the downsized canopy you wanted. Yes, <laughs> I mean, like I survived, so I knew that I'll be all right. Sure. You know? I mean, all right. Well, it's surviving. Yes, you're, you've got a way of doing that. But let's go down the list. How many how many times skydiving related have you been to the hospital now? Uh, 
lots, but <laughs> is that how many times? Uh, I, I cannot count them. Two is like, too many. Know, like uh, less than ten, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, not all of them were like very major. Some of them, but were like little ones. When I saw that I break my finger, or like I don't know. All right. Well, let's let's keep the little ones and see if we can't uh, um, nail some down. Tell me about the competition where you had to be carried to the aircraft uh, so that you well, could swoop. Well, uh, it was actually <laughs> speaking of being able to walk to the podium, yeah. you should probably be able to walk to the aircraft um, as well. Yeah. Well, I hadn't had Woodsy who would tell me that, but <laughs> so I was doing it as careful as I can, but my way. Yeah. It you, was, didn't, you didn't have me telling you to be like yes, train smart. <laughs> yes, I, I, that's my smart. <laughs> anyway, it was in Czech Republic this year, and Cornelia wasn't there. I think that's the reason. So uh, on the training jump, I um, well. It was a uh, it was a situation. I don't want to go really specific about the situation, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, so it cut my attention for a second, and then when my attention was back to the pond, it was a little bit too low. So I uh, bounce off the water and then land in the pond. People kind of um, fished me out from the <laughs> pond and <laughs> took me to the hospital where I saw that my back was broken, but luckily it wasn't. So I just got the crutches and I went back to a drop zone and I said, I'm not competing. Uh-huh. But one day on the ground is enough to say, oh, no, fuck that. I am competing. Now, most people, I can't speak for everyone, <laughs> but most people would spend the previous day laying in the hospital hoping that their back wasn't broken. And the next day, probably not. Hours. Yeah, probably not be over that quite yet. I Did wasn't you? over. Did you get a, a, an X-ray? Oh, yeah. Ah. So I wasn't... I was, so uh, she had the confirmation yes. she was fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I had the confirmation, there, but they say, like, obviously you cannot do anything, but, like, you have to <laughs> Yeah, don't do, anything, don't do anything stressful. So the next day you went and competed. I do in a, though. Yeah, oh, of course, yeah. so I do I. Cornelia would do the same. So do I, but uh, uh, for anybody that's listening that doesn't get what we do, these are people that may be listening to us that can't figure out why the fuck we jump out of an airplane in the first place, let alone it's compound fun. the danger uh-huh. by doing anything extra. Um, so for those people that don't understand, it's very difficult to understand how you can go through a traumatic injury like that and the next day be like, let's go. So that's kind of tough for people to understand. We understand it for sure. But I think any athlete out there, it doesn't matter what sport you do, if you work for something really, really hard, of if course. it's your dream, if you leave this sport, you know, and then you're on the competition where you came to compete and there is an injury which you actually can kind of, sort of, handle. I wasn't aiming for any good score on this competition. I sure. just wanted to compete because I was already there. I would already put enough effort to to want it to be on the competition, to the competition, to jump out of the plane and just do my best. And I think any athlete, doesn't matter if it's boxing, gymnastics, swimming, whatever, if you're out there and you think that you're able to try and bring your best, what, whatever you can do at of course. certain circumstances, then they will go for it. I sure. think it's a, just being I, an athlete. Yeah, I think it's being a competitor. Because yeah, you put the, the effort, you train for so long, and you're looking forward to that competition, and you train, like, what you're going to do? Just waste it all? Like, if you can compete, you will yeah. compete. And I oh, think this sure. is just a, a thing that really competitive people have. Sure. Well, I, I believe me, I say it all as a uh, playing the devil's advocate because I am no... 
no stranger to that. I, I jumped on a broken leg the oh, day I broke yes. it because I'd driven two hours to the drop zone. And fuck that. If it's broken, it's going to still be broken when I get home. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I might as well go ahead. And, I'm going to go ahead and make the damn jump. So believe me, I completely understand. It's just there's a lot of people out there that couldn't quite figure that out. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah, it is hardcore, and I understand maybe the common sense would be like, hey, you have to chill, and I would probably chill if it would be a competition, like, if it just, like, I don't know. Well, now now you're past all of that, and you've definitely had your share of injuries. Have those injuries tempered you any? Have you started going, all right, I've hurt myself before, I need to be a little bit more cautious here, a little bit more cautious there? No, Has that obviously. S- obviously, when I punch my lung, you know, <laughs> And I opened my eyes. I think the first three people I saw it was Cornelia, you and Naomi, uh, <laughs> telling me, like, so what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, when, when can I get back to skydiving? Of course, when I got back to skydiving, we had a deep and long conversation with Cornelia of how my depth perception has to change <laughs> <laughs> and what picture and how much higher sure. I have to actually see the ground well, from what I normally see there. For sure. And those are things she realized, and she's not the only one. Like, you realize uh, that when you get injured, then you cannot jump and train for, for yeah. you know, for a certain amount of time. So then you're missing out. Sure. And then you have to go back to it. And it's a longer process to be injured and get back to it and actually take it a little bit slower or a little bit more cautious sure. in the training. Sure. Well, and especially uh, with canopy piloting, you guys are landing at such ridiculous speeds and having to slide things out or potentially run things out. And so ankles and knees and hips and shoulders and all this stuff. I mean, when you're talking about injuring joints that take months and sometimes years to heal. Yeah, for example, I had a good advice when uh, the team, the Skydive Dubai team was put together and uh, I find out that I was going to train every day and that's going to be my job. I was going to train every day and swoop every day. Uh, I remember um, Pablo Hernandez, we had a conversation and he told me like, yeah, and you should, uh, I don't know how it came up to this, but he told me like I should recommend it that I should wear ankle braces all the time. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. So even now, yeah, like uh, even now people, swoopers, other people come to me like, hey, do you, have you ever injured your ankles? That's why you wear them. And I'm like, no, I think I haven't injured my ankles because, because I wear, you wear them. them. Well, that seems to be something I see on most competitive swoopers. Yeah, well, they call them ankle supports Sure. to support the ankle. Yeah. And <laughs> I think they saved my ankles a few times, for sure. Mm. I felt it. I think without the ankle support, I would have probably not break my ankle, but maybe sure. close to it. So I'm really happy I, I do wear them. So a lot of this stuff, like... As I said, maybe a lot of the stuff that I do and how I train, like not jumping in crazy conditions or like know when to stop pretty sure. much. I think that's what kept me injury free for so long. Very cool. Very cool. Well, and Olga, for you, I mean, especially considering you had such a tough beginning and it took a thousand skydives to learn how to land a parachute. More, more, more than that. <laughs> Pushing yourself into competition swooping is, is quite an accomplishment. I mean, injuries or not, you, you've, you've gotten to a level that I can't imagine a lot of people thought you would with your history. Yeah, uh, but it's also, I think I was really lucky, and I have to say, thank Cornelia to push me to the first competition ever, because I don't know how long would it take me to actually uh, admit that I'm ready for the competition, but it was in Italy three years ago when I came there just to have a coaching with her, uh, because I was traveling in Europe anyway, so we stopped uh, for at our favorite drops on Skydive for a minute, mm-hmm. and... Um, 
So I uh, stopped there for one day of coaching, and they had the competition coming, open and intermediate, right? Was it intermediate? Intermediate, yeah. yeah. And uh, intermediate means the the rules are lo- a little bit easier. Sure. Yeah, to encourage the people to start. get in to start competing. Sure. And you don't even have to touch the water, I think. Yeah. Um, and she said like you should, you know, you should you should just register for that. Sure. I'm like, wow, well, I'm not ready, and she's like, yeah, you're not. <laughs> just register and just go and fly by whatever it's just going to be your first competition so she encouraged me to do that and I was flying by oh my god I was swimming and flying by and just walking by whatever but not scoring I think I scored in two rounds or something but I bet you had a blast oh my god I loved it I loved that and uh, I I, I immediately signed up for uh, Pin Klatove in just a month away or two months away another competition yeah another competition uh, this year it was just that's very cool. Well, I kind of did the same thing way, way, way back when uh, I was part of a competition sky surf team. And we were okay. You know, I mean, we went and, and uh, uh, placed in a couple of intermediate competitions, but nothing spectacular. And we were debating on whether or not we should try and do anything big. And people were giving us the advice of, fuck it, go, have fun. Yeah. And so we went to compete in the U.S. Nationals, and we were going to be in the intermediates. Uh, specifically because we just weren't nearly as skilled as, as a lot of these teams. But you don't know when you're ready until you try. No, no, of course not. Of course not. Well, and the funny thing was when we got there, um, there were a few teams competing in the open, but we were the only team in intermediate. Uh, so we were guaranteed a gold medal in intermediate, intermediate in the, the U.S. Nationals, and both of us looked at each other and, and went, well, fuck that. I'd, I'd rather lose against other teams yeah. in the Open than, than take a gold medal for nothing. And, oh, I agree that. Yeah, yeah. So, and we ended up uh, uh, competing against one other team um, in the Open. And unfortunately, back then, it was when they separated male and female, which was a bunch of bullshit because mm-hmm. the people that beat us, uh, Craig and Tanya O'Brien, were by and large the best sky surf team on the planet. She just happened to be a woman on the board. Okay. So they separated the damn competition. Now, the funny thing was her scores were dis- destroying all the men's scores for the Open and destroying mine and my partners, um, but it was separated, which was a bunch of bullshit. Um, and so it's nice to see, especially now with something as hardcore as swooping, that there's no more separation. You're competing head-to-head against all the competitors. And I hope we're going to keep it this way. It needs yeah, to stay that like, way. Uh, I hope so. Uh, the thing is what... Like, what is happening right now, for sure, like, uh, in skydiving in general, there's more and more women in the sport, and even in um, canopy piloting, no, there's more good. and more. It's, it's good, bad. it's yeah. really good, but I hope it's not going to get to the point where they decide that it's uh, they, they need to make a female category. Uh, Do you think lo- that's a, long- is that a real possibility? I think it's yeah. it's some people would like it. Was that because the people that would like it are because the ones they would that you're like beating? An e- because they would like an easy ma- medal. Yeah, see, that's what I don't understand, how the, they could even consider um, separating male and female when you twice have held the world's record if for... That, if that ever happens, I'm not going to compete in a female no, category. And why I would you? Never. Why would you? That's a bunch of bullshit. I was asked like a few years back at uh, um, in Canada. It was uh, the world championship, and I didn't even know where it came from. I was training. I, I get pretty focused when I'm training and pretty grumpy. depends oh, how it yes. goes. <laughs> oh, and yes. a judge approached me that I didn't even know. And he said, like, he kind of apologized. And he said, I'm sorry, but because we were two female competitors in that competition. Hmm. And he said, like, oh, I'm sorry, but because you're only two, we cannot make a female category. Because apparently if you would be free, yeah. they would consider huh. it, I guess. Yeah. Huh. So... 
I was like, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know why he was talking to me. And I was like, even if you do that, I will never, ever compete in that. And I hope you'll never do it. Sure. So he was very surprised. He obviously said like, oh, you know, some people would like that because uh, it would, uh, you know, uh, help with the... It would look good for the Federation in no. their own country. Bullshit. Um, but I, I am a strong believer that men and women, if it's not, you know, heavy weightlifting, yeah. like swooping, skydiving in general has nothing to do with the strength. No. Um, There's a gender at all. I mean, the gender at all. So I hope and I strongly recommend that it never gets separated. I know they still have nowadays like uh, different categories in classic accuracy. Uh, and uh, I mean, I think in four way, belly four way. But yeah. I even hope that will be changed at some point. Like I wouldn't want to be no. the top female. Uh, I want to be the, the top. top. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> like, you, you don't want to compete against a, a limited field. I would rather be last in the full field than first in a field of exactly. my own. The yeah. same reason that uh, Mary Tortomasi and I decided to go open instead of intermediate. I could have walked away with a gold medal. Fuck that. Exactly. I beat who? No, 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 no. I would rather lose and compete honestly, for sure. Because it will make you better. Absolutely. And in the end, if it would be a sport that, let's say, I don't know, football, you would finish the competition and you end up a millionaire. Sure. I would say, okay, you're at least rich. Yeah. But but it's kind of big. You only do it for yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no prize money. No, no. The few uh, competitions that there's been some prize money, they're like, they're very few and they don't happen very often. The amount of money that you put into training, it's unbelievable. So <laughs> you might as well just do it for yourself and Absolutely. don't lie to yourself. I always, a long time ago, I started daydreaming that uh, athletes in different uh, sports would be paid for the level of danger they put themselves through. In which case, <laughs> we would all be the stinking filthy rich ones. Uh, awesome. Football players would be down a whole lot. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> So you both started from the beginnings. Uh, it took you a while to fall in love with the sport, but Olga, you fell in love with it right away. But you yeah. still ended up kind of in the same place and, and competing and working and chucking drugs and shooting video and doing all that. So you've lived a lifestyle for a long, long time. Uh, are there any downsides to being a, a body and soul skydiver? Well, it's economical suicide if you look at it because all your money you're making you're making fair enough money. Uh, you can you can live with this money for sure. But <clears throat> the thing is, like for me and uh, I think Cornelia is the same. You like you're making money and you spend all of this money on your training. Sure. So um, you're making money and you buy your new parachute, your new uh, rig, new helmet, whatever you need to. You spend money to compete, to train, to go somewhere, to travel. Um, I I. But, like, I think it was the best decision I've ever made, actually, to just cut away from my normal, what is, uh, society will think normal life was, and to become a skydiver because I never look back. Like, mm. I wake up every morning and I'm happy to go to work I'm because, like, I'm going to work to jump out of a perfectly good airplane with the community that we have. Well, and at the end of the day, happiness does not have a price tag. No. It's financially, you can toss things out the window and it doesn't matter. I think you can, if you look from the other side, would maybe people tell you that you're, you know, you're wasting your life, you're not responsible. Maybe. Um, I had a student once, an IFF student in uh, Portugal that, you know, in his mid-50s, and um, he couldn't really understand me. He Like, he worked all his life. He said, you know, he built a career. He had enough money 
that at the time, you know, he started skydiving and he was living his life then. And he was telling me, like, what are you doing with your life? Like, why are you doing this? And uh, I don't know. I, I was happy with my life. Like, what if I don't make it to 50? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I was like, I'm going to have 50 years of working hard, not living my life. And then that's it, done. Yeah. You're yeah. like, maybe, maybe you're in, I don't know, maybe it's time for you to, you die. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. I haven't got to the part where I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So uh, I think you should. And I, uh, I'm i not like Olga. Like, I've always worked in skydiving. Um, I had, I think when I was... Uh, super young in school still I had like a two weeks job like in front of a computer just to make some money and uh, I realized then that like how do people do this like not not that it's a bad thing I was like even I was 18 at the time and even then I realized like man if you like your job and if you like I don't know coming every morning at 8 o'clock and you like working in front of this computer and you enjoy it, I think it's amazing. Sure. But if you hate it, I think you should do something something. about it. Well, that's the thing is I don't understand how people do something that they hate and live for the weekend and can't wait for retirement. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, no, and I agree. Financially is, it's, that's no reason to stay in anything is for, for finances. Well, so financially it's, it's a suicide. How about socially? Oh, socially. Suicide as well, because you can party only that much. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, yeah. The party scene can be all-encompassing and skydivers. And you know skydivers. You've talked about that about, uh, in your past podcast. Sure. Scott. I mean, like, if skydivers do something, they do full power. They cannot sure. just go for a drink. You sure. Know, like, uh, well, now, you once said uh, um, that one of the things that skydiving screwed up for you was dating anybody that's not a skydiver. I Why? Used to, <laughs> it's hard, you know, <laughs> Well, it's very difficult to explain to a person, non-skydiver. No, no, just tell them why you don't want to date them. Go ahead. Oh, They're right here. You have to, I mean, like, I'm competing in canopy piloting. I'm spending all my money and all my effort and all my time into the training and competition. And I just don't have time for that bullshit to explain why we cannot just spend... A weekend outside the drop zone well, you also, and not going there. You also told me one other thing. Oh, hey. Gonna, <laughs> it was a secret. No, no, like no, 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 no. <laughs> you, told, you told me that you didn't want to date non-skydivers because at the end of the day, what you do is badass and they're basically a bunch of pussies. Okay, guys out there. I have courses open for everyone. It's not that expensive anymore. Sign up. So to date Olga, you don't necessarily have to be a skydiver, but you better be a badass. There are many sports that I like, actually. I think it's hard to be. I think I've noticed. I've been in the sport for quite a while, and uh, I've noticed that uh, you it's really hard for people to stay together if their partner is not uh, is not a skydiver mm. uh, because it's very hard to like we don't have weekends we depend when we have a day off is when it's a bad weather day mm. uh, we don't have a set schedule mostly you want to take holiday and go skydiving mm. yeah. uh, so that's really hard to understand from another person's perspective that doesn't skydive uh, it's it's so addictive you just want to learn more and more you just want to do more and more skydiving so how can you possibly explain that to someone that is not skydiving like for sure there's some exceptions are there and some successful relationships i hope i think they are uh but i think it's very hard and it means that that person that is not a skydiver is very tolerant and really understands What's going on? I think with uh, when the situation is opposite, when there is uh, a guy who is a skydiver, I, I've seen many couples like that. Mm-hmm. The guy is skydiving and the girl doesn't. 
That kind That's because women are generally more tolerant of that kind of stuff. Than <laughs> Probably. <men. laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, we can tolerate yeah. that. Yeah. But yeah, Cornelia is absolutely right. How do you explain to a person, like the, the person, uh, the, the man will ask me, hey, let's go to Maldives. And the first thing I will ask you, there are jobs on that there. <laughs> sure. Like, hey. sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> can, absolutely. Can I, can I do hop and pops? Do I pack my Petra? What, what do we do? You right, I mean? right, right. It just, it does have a, from that point of view, for sure, we are, we are, we we're done yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. we're definitely. broken <laughs> from actually from a society point of sure view, yeah it's definitely a life choice there's no doubt about that but i think a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people out there like met their love of their life and their partner on the drop zone uh in- including me yeah, like sure <laughs> so um i think it's awesome absolutely skydiving kind of puts together people from very different fields and uh, that and they countries. have something and, and countries and they have something in common that maybe they wouldn't realize in a normal uh, daily situation. Sure. Well, it's a bond that you would never find otherwise, especially yeah. coming from the United States um, to have close friends that are uh, all Eastern Bloc, which, you know, as, as an American. <laughs> oh, you admit it. Yeah, you love it. Absolutely. And as a, but as an American, uh, the average guy that's living in the Midwest that's never met someone from Russia or Belarus or Romania <laughs> that has no clue. And, and as a community <laughs> of skydivers, you don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. It's just a jumper with a different accent. Exactly. Yeah. Because we all have, no matter how varied the stories, we all have similar backgrounds. Everybody's story is pretty close to the same. We all got into it one way or another, and we all stayed in it for one reason or another. So. You know, when I uh, when I left from Romania, and that was my first time I left the country. Um, I was 21, and uh, I got a job over email as a packer in Spain. I borrowed money, and I was on a bus. I was on a bus for 48 hours to get to Spain, mm. and I had 400 euros in my pocket to just return if it's needed. I didn't know anyone. I just, and all I could tell myself is like, Nah, they're skydivers. Like they're, and I've never been outside the country, but I, I just had this feeling that it's gonna be okay because they're skydivers and skydivers are the same everywhere. And, and I was, and also, I was right. Oh yeah, it's true. It's absolutely but true. Back then, community was a bit smaller as well, you know. So it was like even, even more close to each other. Sure. When you meet a skydiver, you wanna help to this person instantly. Sure. And you're like, hey, but now I think. No, now as well. But like now it's more kind of people can do it more freely. I mean, like it's ex- um, accessible. Sure. For well, absolutely. A little bit and more than it was. It, which is, uh, I mean, hats off to social media. I talked about uh, social media and all that stuff with uh, Pat and Siobhan when yeah. they were here. Uh, it's done a lot to keep people connected, and yeah, which is amazing. amazing. And it's, it's it shrunk a growing community which yeah. is even better. It's yeah. really cool yeah. to be able to keep uh, keep track and, and keep uh, an eye on what everything's, everybody's doing. Yeah. So to professional skydivers, to um, uh, professional competitors, to women in the sport, um, what takeaway to people thinking about getting into the sport? Not just women, but anybody in general. Um, what should they know? What should they be thinking about? What are the highs and lows as we... Well, as she said, um, it's an expensive sport. Like when she said economical suicide, it probably is. It's uh, it's not. I mean, you can work for it, um, but it's it's expensive. Mm. Like it's I don't can not even begin <laughs> with how expensive it is at the beginning because yeah. you have to do your course, you have to buy your equipment, yeah. and the problem is that you're you're hooked to it. Like, if mm. you really want to do it, it's like an addiction. You just want more and more. And um, But then it's like you don't really care about the money you spend on it because, like, 
you just want to spend. Sure, money. but you just have to make to money a to a non-jumper. But somebody a, that hasn't jumped yet. Yeah, to to a non-jumper <laughs> thinking about getting into it, they need to realize you're going to throw away a lot of money that's yours and probably but some that's you, not you, yours. You're trying to scare them. No, 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 no. They just not need at to all. be aware that it's expensive. It is expensive. It's totally worth it. Yeah, that's, but it is that's expensive better, to start yeah. with, and then uh, to get until you get to the level that you can work in it. Um, as an instructor, I mean, because sure. as a packer, you can start pretty early. Sure. You don't even have to be a, a skydiver to be a packer. Yeah. Um, but until you get uh, enough experience to become an instructor and actually earn some money back, you're going to probably put quite a bit of money in. Oh, yeah. Um, but I would say it's worth it. Worth every bit of it. Absolutely. I mean, you can spend money on other things as well that are not, you know, expensive yeah. car. Expensive holiday, I don't know where, and uh, get a lot less out of it. That's exactly. for sure. So Olga, how about you? Uh, if you had to tell anybody what your favorite thing about skydiving is, what would it be? Everything. <laughs> no, really. I um, being a tandem instructor, you know, sometimes people are coming and saying, "Hey, how do I become an instructor?" I would say, you know what? It's just like if you ever think about skydiving, just go and start skydiving. Just. Do your jumps. Come on the weekends. Don't have a goal. Just Don't go jump. Don't have a goal. Just jump. Just have fun. It will come. You know, eventually, it doesn't have to be, oh, I'm going to become an instructor and I'm going to work toward it. It's going to take all the fun out of it. And uh, I think, like, you just have to go and have fun and enjoy your skydiving. And it will eventually, the discipline or uh, if it's going to become your job or discipline you will fall in love with in skydiving, which has so many uh, free-fall disciplines or canopy piloting or whatever you will choose in the end. It will just come automatically. It just come, comes. Sure. Uh, just go and have fun and just go go for it. It's funny that she says that because when she came to me and I started <laughs> coaching her, she's like, so I want to become a world champion. I want to beat you. I still want to. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But she somehow put like in her mindset like a time frame. I don't remember what she told me at the time, but like, no... And a lot I of said people. Five years. Five, oh, okay. Five I, years. I still have like two years. Okay. <laughs> so the moment you know she started started coaching her, she started progressing, and then she had this moment when I had to give her a pep talk, like because she was upset that she wasn't good enough, or she wasn't good enough, as good as she thought she would be after, I don't know, a year and a half sure. training for canopy piloting, sure. and. Um, I think that's uh, it's happening nowadays quite a bit and a lot of people get stressed out and maybe don't enjoy it so much because uh, they think they should be better at some point than uh, they are. Because they had that goal. And uh, sincerely for me, that was never a thing. It is It is now, like, uh, I never had this thing of, like, I need to be good. And uh, when I did my first competition, I liked it, I enjoyed it, so I went for it. But I've never had in my mind, I need to be top three in uh, three years, or sure. my goal is to be, I don't know, world champion in five years. I think I just set oh, goals. Your, your frame, time framing is a little bit different. You see the competition is coming, and you're like, oh, I want to win this competition. Sure. Yeah, well, so but you guys have both kind yeah. of taken the same tack now, is that having fun is extremely important, and it should be. But my, my goals changed. Like, at the beginning, the goal was, like, I want to compete. Sure. Eventually, I got better with not too much pressure on myself sure. because... My goal was I want to compete, so I was competing. The moment I got better and I saw that I could win, my goal became I want to win that competition. Um, But it wasn't from the beginning, you know, from the first competition. It wasn't I want to be so good that I can win this. That, it just grew slowly into me. Sure. Uh, And I see that with her and with a few other people out there that they get, uh, you know, 
frustrated because they don't get as good as they thought they would be sure. after training for I don't know how long. Uh, and I think that's a part that kills a little bit the motivation. Of course it does. Of course um, it does. I talked about it in an earlier podcast in regard to myself and having started working in the sport very early. And I never had any huge goals in regard to competition, but because I worked so fast in it, the whole you're supposed to be having fun all the time kind of faded for a little while. And then after taking a long break and starting to jump again, uh, I don't have small jump numbers. At 11,000 jumps, I'm a pretty accomplished skydiver. But then I go out and jump with kids that have been flying in the tunnel forever and have, <laughs> yeah. you know, and a tenth of the jumps that I have. And they're ninjas and they destroy me. <laughs> and I love it. Nobody is ever going to be impressed with my free flying or my <sighs> swooping. And it took any pressure there ever was in regard to skydiving and threw it out the window because now it's just fun. I don't care if I'm the guy that funnels the skydive. I don't care if anybody's blown away by what I'm doing because I'm having fun, which at the end of the day has made this portion of my skydiving career my favorite. And it's all been good. Well, cool. So that's a big takeaway is is to get out there and have fun. Just go jump, find your passion and and go for it. And I think don't really compare yourself with other people. As long as you're happy and you're you're having fun and you set your goals and whatever you work towards them it's all about the path Complain um, can destroy you I of mean, course your passion for skydiving is sport actually for know. sure yeah, for sure so 100 agree with Cornelia on that one awesome just don't compare yourself go have fun go party with skydivers become That's a it. part of the community community and yeah all right well, Cornelia and Olga, thank you both very much for coming and sitting in my studio. I'm, I'm surprised you're not seated on the toilet. No, <laughs> not sitting on the toilet. No, no, no. But I uh, got a couple of chairs. A couple, yeah, nice. yeah. No, it's a proper little studio. It just happens to have a, a toilet. But <laughs> thank you for having us. Absolutely, awesome. yes. Thank, thank you for you stopping again. by and, and, and giving us some insight into your side of the sport. And yeah. keep going, and uh, hopefully we see both you guys on the podium quite a few times. Awesome. All right. Perfect. Thanks. Blue skies, thank guys. You. See ya. Blue skies. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the Lunatic Fringe Podcast brought to you as always by, well, wait, not as always, actually. Brought to you now by Gyro. Formerly known as NZ Aerosports, you'll head to gyro.com for their next level line of canopies. By Pussfoot, the Extreme Sports Collective. Head over to pussfoot.com to check it out. By Summit Parachute Systems, check out summitparachutesystems.com to talk to Jarrett Martin and the gang about kick-ass pilot rigs rigging courses, and more by Flyaway Indoor Skydiving. Go to flyawaytn.com and check out all the cutting-edge stuff to come. By Pure Spectrum CBD. Head to purespectrumcbd.com to check out their wide range of CBD products. And as for us, head to the lunaticfringepodcast.com to listen to any of the hundreds of episodes currently available. Hit the link for our YouTube channel, pick up your copy of the Lunatic Fringe book or The Accidental Stripper, and get a sneak peek at upcoming guests. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.